Hello everybody and welcome to episode 18 of Here We Go Again, Israeli Politics. We apologize there might be slight audio hiccups throughout the episode as we are upgrading our audio equipment. Bennett meets with Biden. Gantz meets with Abu Mazen. Injured soldier passes away. Prison break in Israel. Khan al-Akhmar and a presidential scandal. This is Here We Go Again. As we all know, Bennett met recently with the President of the United States, Joe Biden, at the White House. Um, he ended up, as we discussed in our previous episode, the meeting had been pushed off because of the mess in Afghanistan with the soldiers being attacked by a suicide bombing. Bennett only met with him on Friday afternoon, meaning he had to stay for Shabbos over there in the States. Now, a few important things that we should pay attention to before we get to what was actually discussed on this meeting is the general vibe in the States about this meeting. Bennett was truly hoping from this meeting to come out um, like um, Bibi to have his uh, press in the States um, giving him a lot of coverage to show how important he is as the Israeli Prime Minister coming to the States. Sadly for him, um, this did not happen. He was barely on any American news. He had one article on CNN, mainly about the fact that he stayed there for Shabbos, um, and it was not that important. Um, as opposed to the American press, um, Lapid did speak, who is the current uh, Secretary for Foreign Affairs and the replacement Prime Minister. Um, he did speak to the American press, and he got um, a question to quote, just to quote quick follow-ups real quick. Did you see Israeli Foreign Minister uh, said that Biden administration planned to reopen the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem is a bad idea? And does the USS um, have a response to that? Um, he answered the uh, the U.S. will moving forward the process to open the consulate. We do not have any. We do not believe this is a good idea, and we don't have any updates to share at this at this time. Um, that leads us into the general topic of discussion that was at this conference. Um, the main point, the main important part of the fact that this conference that the Palestinian issue was not the main discussion point. The main problem was the Iranian um, issue and the nuclear deal that may or may not be on the table. Um, the Palestinians were mentioned in the last sentence of the speech as a side note, and they are not the important part. However, the fact that the discussion of opening a consulate, as we discussed in previous episodes, and as we will discuss moving forward when the law to ban it comes forward before the Knesset, um, the fact that Bennett did not come out clearly against this is a big issue because it must be clarified to the United States that Israel will not allow such a thing to happen in their capital. So I think that it was, it, it was specified. First of all, I agree with you on the Palestinian matter. It was almost not mentioned at all. It was, it was, it felt like it was like, oh, wait, let's just check off that box that we mentioned them to make sure that we put them into the discussion, but there wasn't anything further. When it comes to the consulate, so correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Joe Biden has not, did not mention it either. As in, in the entire conversation, it didn't come up. So it's, we don't know, because we don't know what they discussed. He publicly did not mention it. However, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken did mention it, um, and, and he said, he quoted that, that when it comes to our CG in Jerusalem, um, I have addressed this on a number of occasions, and we will get to this in the future. No, that's fine. But what I'm saying is that by, by the understandings that I got at the event, Bennett specified very clearly before even arriving at the meeting, he specified that it will not happen and don't even bring it up. Because if you bring it up, we're going to have a problem. 
And then I think that he just ended up not bringing it up. And by not bringing it up publicly, it was somewhat an agreement underlining that it's not going to happen, at least for now. I, I completely disagree by not bringing it up publicly because it's been brought up by the Biden administration on numerous occasions. It appeared to have been a semi-approval or a weakening of Israeli stance on this matter. We just had member uh, the Israeli representatives flying around the states to discuss with congressmen and senators to clarify what kind of issue this is and how important it is that this doesn't happen. Um, Nir Barkat, who is the former mayor of Jerusalem and a member of the Likud, flew around, for Jews, uh, flew around the states for a month and a half to meet with both Democrats and Rep uh, Republicans to make sure that a vote for this could not happen. I mean, I agree, but uh, you also have to remember, he's in the opposition. Obviously, this is what he has the time to deal with. Again, I'm not defending it. I obviously would have wanted and think it would have been correct for Bennett to mention it and make it very clear. But I don't believe that him not making it... Let, let me say it in a, in a better way. I don't think that the fact that he didn't mention it, it didn't come up, means that it's going to happen. But I also agree with you that I'm not going to say that the stance of not mentioning it means it will never happen. That's where I think we're at right now. It will not happen tomorrow. It will not happen in a month. It can happen in a half a year from now. I agree. Um, now... If we take from the political point of view, this meeting for Bennett was not a good look. He got pushed off and, moved, and waved away for good reasons, but he still did it. He was barely on the news in the States or in Israel about this meeting. It wasn't great for him. As for the Israeli side of things, from the Israeli point of view policy eyes, it was a generally good meeting because, albeit the Iran issue, uh, we do not have a good agreement on it with um, the Biden administration, but it has been clarified numerous times by the Secretary of Defense in Israel and others that if come to if it comes to it, we will act without the states. The fact, as we mentioned, that the Palestinians were not the forefront of the discussion with a very Democrat president who has always discussed the Palestinians in the past, as in his tenure in the in the Senate, is a very good sign for Israeli policy. So I'm going to agree with you. I think the last sentence you said was was exactly the accurate one, where it just wasn't a great meeting. Nothing inherently went wrong, nothing was a catastrophe, nothing needed to be taken back, it just wasn't great. It did not achieve the goals in the best way possible. I, I, I agree, and which leads us on to our uh, next aspect, which is the political aspect in general for Bennett as of late, uh, which leads us into the very sad story of the soldier um, who passed away last week after being shot on the Gaza border. We discussed last week that Bennett called the parents and mistakenly said the wrong name of the soldier. Um, and in general, the event did not go well politically for Bennett. Uh, Barel sadly died as a result of the gunshot wound. In general, um, this spiked a discussion in the country once again on the political aspects of the army, i.e., um, when are soldiers allowed to open fire on people that are attacking the border or people in general that are threatening them when are they not allowed to it has been a very hot topic in the past uh, few years that soldiers hands are tied behind their backs when performing their duties and they do not have the ability to protect themselves for example in the case of this specific soldier the uh, main claim is that the Arabs that were storming the border should never been allowed to get so close they should have been allowed to fire on them from much farther away as a result, Bennett uh, made a whole statement to say that many people are attempting to politicize the army and to criticize the army for their actions, and he stated that the army is above politics and needs to stay so. That is a terrible sentence because the army is political, as is everything in life. 
everything is political. We do not get to just pick and choose what we decide is political. And as a result, he cannot just simply decide that the army is not uh, political and that um, we cannot give any critique to the army. The actions in this scenario were bad. His uh, commanders did not give him enough support in the field. His, um, uh, he should have been allowed to open fire much earlier. Soldiers in general should never be afraid for their lives because that they are afraid to do anything because that they might be prosecuted. They must have the ability to act to protect themselves and others when the need arises. It is a disgrace that this is the scenario on the ground. So I think it's even worse than you're making it out to be. You know, uh, Aviv Kochavi, the uh, chief of uh, staff in the army, the Ramatkal, he came out and stated a sentence saying that you can't, that a soldier making a decision in, in a combat situation should uh, not be prosecuted for it and cannot have responsibility. And I think that's a, that's a terrible sentence for many, many different factors, okay? If the one hand you're discussing for a second, what is the responsibility, the, the um, citizen responsibility of a soldier or a commander in combat? I 100% agree. A soldier in war in a combat situation cannot and should not have any citizen ramifications for what he does as a soldier. On the other hand, when it comes to your job and your role as a soldier, of course you have responsibility. And if a commander dictates something that ends up being a, a, a flaw, not as in a second mistake that he made as an immediate decision, but a tactical decision which he made a mistake, of course he should be prosecuted for that in the army's um, uh, jurisdiction. Okay, which means he should either be removed from his position, he should be, uh, his rank could be removed, any other decisions that are within the army, as long as it has nothing to do with what happens in, in as a citizen. Now, this sentence is, in, is specifically painful because we all know the story of Elora Zarya, the soldier a couple years back, which went up and shot a terrorist that was already detained and laying on the ground. And he shot him uh, 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 point blank. And in the end, all of the political era and all the things went, and, and the army itself, and the Ramatkal at the time, Benny Gantz, came in and did not support him and did not defend him. And he actually ended up sitting in a private jail. In, as a citizen, he was removed from the army and then sat in jail. That, to me, is very, very painful. Now, the, the whole idea is that you can't pick that direction or that direction. Was Elor Azaria wrong? It's a whole complicated conversation, and it's totally fair to say that he was wrong and he made an incorrect decision. But... If in this situation, when they make incorrect decisions, it's okay for them to make it, everyone comes to defend them, that these commanders, and remember, Elora Zarya was just a simple soldier. I would give him much less responsibility than high up commanders which are responsible for this situation. And I think that my last sentence is with the real issue here. It comes up to being a high up commander. And that's why everyone's coming to defend him. But when he was uh, just uh, the soldier on the ground, they were able to throw him to the wolves and have him go to jail. And I think that's completely uh, uh, worse. So I, I, I have to disagree with you here. I don't think that's the issue at play here. The issue is not whether or not to prosecute a soldier, because no soldiers did anything wrong here. I mean, his calendars did, but that's not the point. The issue is the general ruling on soldiers. Soldiers in Israel are afraid to defend themselves. They're afraid to take any action. The soldiers at the border in Gaza did not have orders to open fire, meaning there were people storming no, the border. more than that. It's more than that. It's not just about, I agree with you in general that the, the uh, uh, op firing, open firing orders are 
extremely strict and impossible to work with and they end up tying our soldiers down. I'm not denying that, but I think it's a much broader aspect as a decision. In this situation, there was a tactical decision made by the commanders on the ground to allow them to storm the border. This isn't a surprise, which is why I keep on saying this wasn't a, a, a combat issue that they decided they didn't have a minute to make a decision. They made a decision. They had a lot of time in which all of the rioters were getting to the border and they allowed their soldiers to stand on the border while this is happening. And that's why I think it's directly their fourth. And I think they should definitely be prosecuted again, not in as a citizen. They should not be put in jail. They should be prosecuted in the army and every single person up to the rank of the head of the Gaza Strip should be removed from his position immediately because they are responsible for that decision. Yes and no. I I completely agree that they are responsible, but they are not the only ones who are responsible. As I mentioned, the political bodies at play here are the ones who make it difficult for them. They're the ones who give them the order that they cannot open fire or to get that. Whoever gave that order, be it the political bodies or the ones um, in the army, are the ones who the blood of this soldier is on their hands and that they should be responsible for his death. And as a political aspect for Bennett, this was a very, and for in general for the people in play here, this was very bad because A, just the matter that he stated that the army is beyond reproach, he himself has reproached the army and criticized them on numerous occasions because the army needs to be criticized when it comes to it because it is the army of the people, by the people, it is our, our, um, uh, our children who serve in the army and therefore you cannot just um, state that it is uh, beyond reproach. And as part of the security discussions, especially with the soldier involved, uh, this leads us into our next topic. Um, Benny Gantz, who is the current defense secretary, met with Abu Mazen um, last week. Um, Abu Mazen, for those who are not aware, is the head of the Palestinian Authority. He is also a terrorist and who has supported terrorists and murderers in the past many times. Um, this is the first meeting um, with him in 11 years. He has essentially become a non-relevant factor in world uh, in geopolitical matters of the general the uh, Middle East and specifically with Israel. He has not been relevant for a long time. Um, Gantz has wanted to meet with him in the past. Bibi did not allow him to meet with him when he was defense secretary under Bibi. Um, whilst this happened, um, a few other important things happened. First, uh, B, uh, Bennett did have to agree to this meeting for it to take place. He stated that he didn't support it, but he agreed to it. Um, another important thing is that the Qatari money um, was uh, given through, uh, given to the Hamas, um, which will eventually, of course, make its way to terrorists again, even though it had been stopped in the past. Um, one of the reasons that um, the entire election cycle had fallen is that Lieberman had cursed Bibi and had claimed um, that he is a traitor for allowing such a loan for the money to take place in the first place to get to uh, Qatar. Um, another thing that happened as a result of this is that Bennett announced that there will not be any um, policy changes on uh, the governmental front, meaning that there isn't going to be a move for a police plan or anything like that. Um, uh, but the Meretz party had announced that there will be and that they will be pushing over for su forward for such an event. So I think that regarding the Gantz's meeting with Abu Mazen, I have like an internal political conflict um, because I think it really comes down to how the system works. You know, if I look at the American system, I believe that the president is, he's in charge and all of his ministers that come in work for the president. 
and therefore he declares what is the the notions, what are his goals as president, and the job of the ministers is to officiate those goals. Um, in Israel, it works differently. You know, in the end, the prime minister is the he's the prime minister. He's the head of all ministers, but the ministers do not have to, by definition, obey to his opinions and views how on how things should happen. And I think that that in again our political system, which different parties join together to create this uh, system, uh, this uh, coalition, I think it's fair. And just like I would sit and say to the um, uh, to Yair Lapid. Uh, you know, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and say that in the end he shouldn't butt into what Bennett decides as Prime Minister should let him and he's been doing that fairly. I think that that should work in the other direction to a certain limit. Of course, Bennett should be aware and has to know because he is the Prime Minister. But I'm okay with the fact that Benny Gantz, as much as I personally am against the meeting, I'm okay with the fact that he is the Minister of Defense and as the Minister of Defense, he believes this is what's right to do. He has to make sure that Bennett is aware and accepts it, but I don't think that Bennett has to like it for it to happen. And, I, and I'm okay with the way it went down. So I'm not, and I happen to think it was a big mistake for it to go down at all, because as we mentioned earlier, he has not been a relevant player for 11 years. Bibi did an amazing job for removing him from the map. In general, by going to meet with him, what we are doing is essentially raising the Palestinian problem onto the world stage again. Because we are once again pushing them to the forefront by pushing by each um, Israeli politician racing to see who meets with Abu Mazen first. You are legitimizing him and you are legitimizing the problem as an issue that needs to be dealt with. You cannot claim as a government that we're going to be a government that doesn't deal with this and doesn't push for a new plan. We're going to keep the status quo and yet deal with this. As we mentioned, Bennett saying that there's not going to be any new... Uh, uh, plan for the Middle East, whilst Meretz, uh, which is the left-leaning party in the government, is saying that there will be a uh, push with the Palestinians based on human rights. Um, the, the entire government, no, I, Israeli I government, agree. came out weak in this scenario. No, no. So let me specify my sentence again. I'm not saying that I think it was a good move. I agree. We're a political commentator podcast. I believe it was not a good move, and I think it was not a smart move to meet with him. But I'm saying that politically speaking, is in, in the way the political system works, I don't mind the fact that Benny Gantz made the decision that he wants to meet with him. And as Minister of Defense, Bennett allowed it, even if Bennett's against it. That's what I was trying to specify. As a system, I think it was fair and correct. Do I think Benny Gantz was right for meeting with him? No, I don't think that was correct, but it's separate to this just first question. I, I, I refuse to believe, however, that Bennett was so uh, blasé about this and that he just simply decided to allow it whilst being against it. And why am I saying this? Because another thing happened this week. Um, whilst uh, after this meeting happened, um, in a diff an Israeli security uh, personnel were sent to Egypt to meet with um, Egyptian delegates, whilst by uh, happenstance, Abu Mazen was also in Egypt. This is, again, post Gantz's meeting with him. Again, it's, it seems to be from all the feelings in the ear, from the discussions in the White House, um, from the things, that it's very hard to believe that this government, whilst they keep on saying, we're not pushing for anything, and yet they keep on meeting with these people. It, it's, it seems to reminisce to me a lot like uh, what we had with um, Ariel Sharon in the beginning of, of the 2000s and with Aaron Barak who kept on saying that they're not doing things and then they ran through and did push things in the end. And it's scary and I'm not trusting Bennett on this. No, but I think that you're not giving a solution. You're coming and saying, let's, let's not deal, like, let's ignore the Palestinian problem in general, which, which is fine and that is a statement. 
But in the end, what, what you're coming and saying here, and there's another move coming and saying, look, the way to weaken Hamas, which is our threat of the Palestinian people, is to actually raise the power of, uh, of Abu Mazen Apilo, especially that he's not going to be around for very long. He is not a healthy man and he's not a young man. And it might be a political move of coming and saying, let me raise him, show that we're having a conversation, not for the international uh, realm, but to make the Palestinians' people life better. And we know that if we could actually... We know what Benny Gantz asked him, by the way, and Abu Mazen said no. He played a very interesting move. He was saying, why don't we transfer the money to the citizens of Gaza through Abu Mazen? which is literally just making him stronger, but that just that is a big, big punch in the guts of Hamas running the border if Abu Mazen will be the one giving out money and making their life better, and that might end up making us better. Also, it's important to um, just backtrack here what you're talking about. Um, the Qataris give money to um, the uh, Palestinians, and we usually are the ones who funnel that money through to them, either through Hamas or through others. Sadly, most of this money ends up going to terrorism and not to humanitarian efforts. A very, another very bad security and political th- event that took place this week under Bennett is Khan el uh, For those who don't remember, we have discussed this in the past. Khan el is an illegal Arab settlement uh, that exists. It has been ordered by the Supreme Court to be destroyed on numerous occasions already. And when this government came into power, they had asked for a 60-day uh, push-off to, they said, to get familiarized with the issue um, uh, so that before they go into and destroy it. Um, just to remind everyone uh, how important this issue was, um, the members of the current government, Bennett, the Prime Minister, Shaked, the Minister of the Interior, Sal, uh, uh, the uh, Minister um, for uh, Justice, and many other members of this government had attacked relentlessly the previous government and governments before that, um, that they had not uh, uh, destroyed Khan al-Akhmar. Um, they had received the 60-day push-off originally with a statement stating clearly that this will be the last push-off that they will ever receive. Um, and they requested um, a few days ago a push-off once again for another six months. A truly um, strike in the gut to uh, the people that have supported them in the past, including Tunwat Gavim and others that have fought in the courts to get this uh, place destroyed um, because of its illegality. Um, they also just uh, they stated in their uh, court case that why are they asking it for pushed off according to a secret document which included um, evidence that they were supposedly um, mo- moving forward with an agreement with them on uh, the destruction of Khan al-Akhmar. Um, also just imp- um, nice to mention here that even though they were so responsible about this they still missed the deadline of pushing it off by three hours. So I think that, you know, I'm really getting to the point where I think there's something we're missing, okay? Because the Pinui, the, um, how do you say Pinui? Destruction. Removal, uh, well, it's not, not about destruction. It's more about, like, removing the people from the illegal lands. Uh, and, and, again, they're offered other places to live, and, and, and as we've discussed in the past. But I think that the removal is, is almost like the dream of any right-wing government, which we theoretically are. Because, and in Benton's perspective... It's a win-win. If he actually removes it, that will be a huge win from the right, okay? Because Bennett, Bibi promised to promise to promise and never did it, and Bennett succeeded. And even the left doesn't have much of a claim because all of the left's thing is based on the Supreme Court. That's why they always defend the fact that the Supreme Court, you know, says. Once the Supreme Court says that they need to be removed, I can't see how a left-wing party 
cannot support what the Supreme Court is saying. So I think it's such an easy win for this government to remove it. And I don't understand how. The only thing I can maybe think of is, I don't know, maybe there's really, really something almost on a conspiracy level of what we're missing, which is why every prime minister is, not every, you know, it's only been Bibi or Bennett, but Al Bennett that was so, so adamant about it became the prime minister and for some reason is asking to push it off secretly. I don't know. Maybe there's something we're missing. So I, I, I have a very different view on this. If we take Bibi in, for example, Bibi didn't do it because Bibi in general, his entire attitude was status quo. I don't like changing things. I don't want to make a mess. I don't want to have on the news uh, pictures of Israeli soldiers removing Arabs from their homes. With that, Bennett is a very different scenario. Bennett, there are multiple reasons why he can do, be doing this. One, he might uh, believe truly that if he went through with this, with the destruction of Khalil Ahmar, this government would get thrown out the window. Another option, which scares me considerably more is what we just discussed is that there may actually be a new policy stance in this government or a new deal brewing with either surrounding countries or with the palace or with the PA and that scares me immensely saying that there's this new deal and that is why we are pushing this off maybe that is what appears in this secret document that he's taken to the court and again it doesn't matter either way now as to the position of the court the courts actually play their hand very nicely here um, the three judges who sat on the court in this case um, were the three conservative judges on the court, the only three conservative judges on the court, um, and they clearly stated here, um, and I believe when it was chosen um, by the Chief Justice, I think she chose this on purpose to give the left-wing people in this government a way out, because they hate these justices, but any justice would have ruled the same way, because it was very clear of the illegality of this settlement a long time ago. So I'm trying to understand now, what is the next step? The Supreme Court said it has to happen. They pushed it. They requested a delay again, even though the Supreme Court specified they will not give another delay. What's happening now? So the Supreme Court specified they would not give another delay, but um, they either way are going to the court again, and they're waiting for a response in the courts. Um, the courts in Israel are known to, new, to move painfully slowly. They have yet to give back a response. It's also, I don't believe it has been decided yet as to who, which judges will be sitting on this case. Meaning, if we have different judges, could we get another push-off? I don't know. Um, they still will have to go far to the court and Just make their case. have to sit on the entire case? What? Don't the same judges have to sit on their entire case? So, it's unclear. Um, most likely, it will be the same judges again. But the have-to in Israel does not exist. It is... It's, assigned by the Chief Justice in each scenario, which again is ridiculous that the Supreme Court doesn't all sit on all cases. Another security issue to be discussed this week is that six prisoners of the um, Palestinian prisoners escaped this week from a prison up north. Uh, they dug a hole in their cell and escaped. Uh, this led to a massive search effort for them that has come up in vain because they most likely escaped into the lands of the PA. Um, and as a result of the searches and uh, all of the mess, there was also rioting in uh, the Islamic Jihad section of that uh, prison. And there was even a fire started in their cells. Um, this obviously was a massive screw up by the uh, jail services. There is a investigation taking place both internally in the police and externally 
by a special prosecution that is interviewing um, the uh, jailers to see if there was any malfeasance done or if it was just gross negligence. I tend to think of gross negligence more than malfeasance simply because of the fact that we have seen negligence of them in the past. Now, as to the actual um, escapees, these are all murderers. Uh, many of them have been convicted multiple times. One of them was caught on multiple occasions, convicted for life many times, and was let go um, once during the Gilad Shalit uh, prisoner transfer, and he also escaped now. Um, these are all terrorists who have been convicted um, and who are all killers. Um, the political uh, ramifications for this were vast and uh, on both sides. Uh, we had people who um, condemned the police for their failure immediately and those who attacked them for it and say that these murderers must be caught immediately. Um, and sadly, um, because we're in Israel, um, there were even those uh, that were in support of these terrorists Members of Knesset who were in support of the uh, of uh, uh, the people who came out, uh, for example, Ofer Kasif, who is a Jew, the only Jew who is a member of the Arab Joint Party, um, who stated that the human soul uh, wishes for free yearns for freedom, even the Palestinian soul, and no wall of the conqueror uh, could keep them in. Once again, he is discussing six murderers who got out. I think that. This event is just horrific and embarrassing and and there's so much wrong with the situation, so much wrong with how we're dealing with the situation. You know, obviously letting them get through, it just shows the deep, deep corruption and and, and terrible situation that we have in the um, Palestinian um, jails where we, that are in Israel, um, there is terrible security there. We treat them like Gods, they get everything there. You know, there's so many, so many stories that have been for years and years come up of how what their good conditions are, and they get, you know, they get to choose which which girl. Uh, um, I don't know what the word is uh, in English for you know the the cops in jail that um, the that come and they they get to choose them. They get to make their own food. They have TVs. They have cell phones that they get to you know. They get free education. Uh, they like get a college monitor. degree. Of course, you know, it's wonderful. And this is something we've complained for many, many years, and, and it ends up to really become a disgrace. And I think that the worst part here is that not just that they were able to actually dig a tunnel and get out a full prison break style, get out of the jail, it's the fact that at 2.15 in the morning, a person called the police to specify, I see people right outside the jail. They were 15 meters outside of the jail and call the police that I see people walking around and it took up till 4.30 in the morning until they actually figured out the inmates were missing and started the complete chase. It's really just just horrific. And the saddest part of all of it is is that I'm still waiting to hear who is going to, this is again the issue I had with the issue before, who is responsible? Who is getting punished? Who is getting removed from their, from their things? You know, there's still, uh, um, uh, for extra news for the people listening, that multiple of the members actually went in to request legal assistance because there are, I don't want to say the word rumors because it's just not specified yet, but there is a possibility that that the prison guards um, were actually, or some of the prison guards were in on it and helped them get away or ignored the digging when they knew it was happening, and in which case they should literally be jailed for the rest of their life as criminals um, betraying the, the security of the country. 
Um, and I think that the last part that's really hard for me is the public sphere, where I think that I haven't heard, you know, they've gotten up and said, we'll put our hands on us. No, no, it should be very specified to the entire world. These inmates just signed their death warrant. If they are found, they will be shot and killed immediately until they decide to either, they can either come back to jail themselves and, and, and or, or when they are found, they will be shot and killed and they are, they take full responsibility and more so than that, anyone, including the, the Hamas or Basti Authority, if they or any citizen supports them or defends them or hides them, they are signing their own death warrant as well. So, that, which I, I, I agree with that and that leads us back to what we discussed earlier with the death of the soldier. It's the same issue of the government not taking action, not doing things. The person who killed our soldier, um, Bar'el, we know where he is. It's, we know where he is the whole time. He's sitting in a Hamas uh, building. We, we, they, they, they're holding him. They said, we arrested him. No, you go in, you kill him. You take him to jail, you try him. And if you can do it, use the death penalty. Yes. The, uh, and on to these prisoners. These prisoners, the same idea. It's about taking action. Now, to be fair, on, on the failures of the prison system, there is going to be a serious investigation. Now, these failures are much more wide-reaching than just someone escaping from prison. We knew about holes being dug there since 2014. In 2014, the Makir Amdina, who is the person who is in charge of critiquing all of the systems of the government in Israel, stated very clearly that there is massive failures in this specific prison, that there was a hole already dug that there was found, and it's very easy to dig another one, to escape and not just that the person who is the most important one that escaped from this of the six that escaped is a, he was transferred there the night before by his own request he requested to transfer a cell on the night before he was clearly very confident that he would get approved to transfer to the cell and then he escaped and it is just showing to the failures of this government to deal with its own issues but I'm waiting first of all an investigation is great but until I don't see the people that are responsible being prosecuted for it, it doesn't mean anything. And more so I would come and say that I want to see here a cold turkey attack on the situation. And I'm not seeing this. I don't want you to do a band-aid. Don't fix the holes. You know, there was a post right now. It's a, it's a picture you guys should look at online. It's unbelievable. Outside the jail, right outside, they took a, a stone and just put it on top of the hole. Like that's solving the problem, okay? And it just shows how they, want to, how they want to deal with it. And I'm saying that it needs to be a very clear, all of the things they allowed right now, all of the different things that they gave to try to make, uh, you know, what's the idea that they defended? They're saying that if, the, if their lives are better in jail, then there's less issues. Clearly that's not true. And I think that they should stop cold turkey, all of the things that they're giving them, all of the positive things that they're allowing them to have, say absolutely not, cut it straightforward and be very strict on them from now on and anyone anyone that says something publicly should be very clear that's the, the responsibility of the soldiers that escaped they come back maybe we'll start discussing giving them better uh, conditions until the moment they don't come back there's zero discussing conditions it's on their head and their responsibility I, I i think there should be no discussions on the conditions whatsoever the conditions are too good there it, it, these are murderers and rapists and horrible human beings all have most of the people in the jails have committed terror attacks and have been caught and tried many of them numerous times and there's no reason that they have such good conditions in jails the fact that there was a riot in the jail and that fires broke out and all these people were still in their cells is abysmal why do they have the ability to create a fire in their cells why does this exist 
This is just a shame, it's just shameful act for the government in Israel. And it's a shame that like these prisoners escaped and the fact that we're searching for these prisoners led to riots in Judea and Samaria. No soldiers are allowed to be sent home, those who serve in Judea and Samaria right now, for fear that there might be incidents in, um, in, in those areas and all soldiers might be needed. How is this happening by the fact that prisoners escape from our prisons? How do we not know how to deal with our own problems already? I will end and say that in this situation, I am directly um, uh, blaming Bennett and the head of the uh, thing, not for the escape. The escape and all these issues did exist before, and he hasn't been in for a very long time. And as much as you need to deal with a lot of things, you can't deal with everything at once. It's the reaction to it. And I think that the, the, the clear situation, I think that currently is not dealing with it strictly enough and forceful enough. He has to show the fear in the eyes of those who think that they can run away from a jail and dig a hole and embarrass us like this. And at this point, I am currently highly disappointed in the way that Bennett is running the situation. I, I completely agree, and I wanted to close out our discussions on Bennett with just another note here. There's been a bunch of polling lately showing uh, very bad numbers for Bennett specifically and for this government in general. And you might be wondering to yourself, who cares about poll numbers? Why do they matter um, in, if we're not going to elections anytime soon? So it does matter a lot, specifically in Israel, um, for both sides. Um, because if the poll numbers are doing terribly for Bennett, um, he could always be dropped. Uh, if any, either side of the, of the government sees that they're doing very well while the other side is doing very badly, they might decide to throw it all away, go to elections, and hope for the best because that they might succeed that way. Also, Bennett needs good enough poll numbers to not be considered a leper. If he's be considered like a contagion that, uh, with bad poll numbers that was spread to other members of the right, he no longer has the card of playing that he'll go back with Sa'al, um, to, with with the party of the New Hope to form a right-wing government. He no longer has that card over the members of the left in his party if his poll numbers are so bad that the members of the, the of the right wings, that parties that are outside of the government are going to consider him a leper and not gonna want to get anywhere near him. Whilst everyone thinks that they've burnt bridges here in Israeli politics, people forget things in five minutes. They'll happily accept him back if it meant that they were once again in power. And he has to be very careful here, not that he, that he doesn't drop too far, that he loses all leverage and power and the ability to govern with these polls. Another important thing we wanted to note this week is that about the uh, 4,000th case, this is a case against Prime Minister Netanyahu over um, his unjust uh, use of the Walla newspaper in ways that were not... Uh, theoretically legal um, uh, and he pressured them to give him good coverage and bad coverage to others. Um, it was put out this week um, that the current president of Israel, Yitzhak Herzog, um, apparently is guilty of doing the exact th same thing, if not worse, uh, during, uh, w when he was running against Bibi. This is of course the same time that Bibi is being tried with this. Um, and it just goes to show that this, in fact, this entire case is very weak, this specific case on the cases of bribery and so on and so forth against uh, the Prime Minister, uh, the previous Prime Minister Netanyahu, are very weak. Uh, part of the text stated as um, the head of Walla saying, you're going to do history. Tell me what you want me to write and I'll write it. You got it. Whatever you want. 
and so on. This just goes to show that scandal runs everywhere in the Israeli government, and it is not simply on the right. I don't know if scandal runs everywhere. Like, I'm not defending them or what they're doing, but at the same time, like, I think that the way news works, there's a very simple balance of what's legal and illegal. You know, me agreeing and coming to say to someone, I'll come on an interview or I'll support you in certain things, but you have to, you know, allow it, not say anything that's not true. That would be illegal. I can't tell you lie about something. But if I want to come and say as a politician and say, look, I'll come on an interview for you. But if I do that, you have to say good, not like good, true things about me, like focus on the good and not focus on the bad. Okay, that's then you make a decision if you want to be a very trustworthy news outlet or not. But I don't I don't understand yet why this is specified as something that is illegal. It's how it works everywhere in the world. So I agree. Um, now that's to the general thing of the 4,000th case. It just goes to, I was just bringing this here to show that it exists on all sides of the spectrum. Now as to the specific 4,000th case, it's, it's the reason they consider it illegal is because that the government in is, and the uh, newspapers in Israel have a very intertwined and very complicated relationship. Um, there's still such a thing as censorship in Israel of, of the news for security matters and other such things that the government has a lot of effect on the news and that is why anytime it seems to have an undue effect people tend to get scared and that's why they tend to consider it illegal. In general the laws on the book on this are very vague and that is why they do not need to do it. And it's, it's, it's just an unclear. We might do in general when um, we get closer to some of the more important hearings and episode about the cases against Netanyahu and all of the different aspects of them. But this just goes to show that this specific case out of the three that were brought against him is a very weak one. Speaking of Netanyahu, I wanted to bring a very fun thing that I noticed this week. Uh, so Netanyahu came back from Hawaii uh, from a two-week vacation. Um, and as a result, because of the current laws for COVID in the country, he has been in quarantine. But he came to speak in the Knesset um, about various issues from Iran and so on and so forth. Uh, but that's not what we came to talk about. Because he was in quarantine, he had to speak from uh, the quarantine section. Now, the quarantine section in the Knesset, because this is, of course, a new thing, they took uh, part of the section that was meant for visitors and they turned it into a quarantine section. It's on top of the normal Knesset looking down at them. So he had a podium bought in there for him. He's the first one to do this. And he spoke from the podium. Um, and it was just a very funny scene to see. Because you see the entire Knesset sitting there. Well, whoever was there, because the members of Knesset don't actually do their job there much and come that much to the Knesset. And they all had to lean back and look up at him as if looking up at a king to see uh, him speaking to them and rebuking them for their actions. And it just goes to shows uh, the political mindfulness that he had of uh, that he used this opportunity from being on top of them to great great pictures on the news of him being on top of the rest of the Knesset and being above them, so to speak. And from being above the Knesset, uh, we would like to discuss one who is undoubtedly below the Knesset. Um, for those who don't know who he is, Owen Chazan is... Um, was a member of the Likud. Uh, he was a member of Knesset, uh, I believe two or three years ago at this point. Um, he's a very colorful person, who a uh, very odd person. Um, he uh, made a little bit of a political uh, scene when he uh, ran up to Trump and took a selfie with him as a member of Knesset. 
uh, he, he was a mess at the time, and then he was voted out on the next elections. Now, why are we bringing him up now? Because he won this week in a reality show called Big Brother, which sticks a bunch of people in a house uh, for a few weeks, um, and they're slowly weeded out until there is one victor. And it's nice to know what level of our member of Knesset's are that one of them won in this show. So, I think that it's not, I mean, look, Big Brother, I'm not going to give my opinions on reality TV in general. I'm the, I don't spend much watching reality TV in general. Definitely not reality, but my wife is a very big fan of all of them. Um, look, he ran on, one of the things that you could see in the end is he was a Knesset member and he was looked upon as a joke. I happen to have actually not thought he was a joke. I think he's a loud mouth. I think that he's, and then, and a lot of people compared him in, in many ways to uh, being a politician. And look, Trump, like it or not, was a very successful politician and became the president. And I think that Oren Hazan had that attribute. Do I think that he's ridiculous in a lot of things that he says? Definitely. Um, and I think that what he ended up doing right now is he wanted to join the Big Brother to really show a different side of him. And he succeeded. A lot of people fell in love with him. Again, I don't watch the show. I don't know what to say. But he ended up being, you know, for a big, the Big Brother being overall a, a left-wing show, getting on and really having a Knesset member of, that is extremely right-wing and extremely loudmouth winning is interesting and also ridiculous. It, it, it was undoubtedly ridiculous, um, but very entertaining uh, for anyone who watched it. Uh, we were not among those. We just heard this on the news. To specify, do I think he's going to run for the Knesset again? Yes, I don't think so. I can assure you he will. I don't want to say when. And with that, we will conclude this week's episode. We thank you for joining in. We thank you for listening. We remind you, you can email us at hwga.pod at gmail.com. We read all emails, reply, and use your ideas for future episodes. We thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. This is Here We Go Again. <laughs>